This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Andrew, do you trust me? Yeah, is this an Aladdin thing? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, but now it is. Okay. Because I trust you mm-hmm. to show me the world. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm glad that I'm glad that I've, I feel like I've earned that trust. The shining, shimmering splendor of Overdue, a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And welcome to our book podcast. Like pre preamble, in before in before the welcome to overdue. Yeah, it's, little... it's weird to everything in, in our in our lives is topsy turvy. Yeah, right now I'm living living out of boxes. And I, I am clinging to the rock that is. We got to make a podcast. <laughs> like we got to talk about a book. We got to talk about a book. And some days I worry that we've forgotten how, but then we sit down in front of the mics and we just start jibber jabbering. And before, you know, it it feels like barely an hour has passed before we've recorded it our alone and then podcast. Usually, at least one person is like, "I had the exact same thought," and I'm like, "Great, we did it. Yeah, we made one person feel seen." Yeah, um, and that the- person is a proxy for like probably like five or six other people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to welcome vocal minority. Um this is a podcast where one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it if it's your first time here. Welcome. I just hey. want to put just want to put that energy into the room. Thanks for coming in. Uh yeah. if this is your first episode, the context is Craig got a new job recently and I'm moving like imminently. Yeah. And it's just been it's been quite an April. It's been quite an April. We've gone through times on this show. And it's going to be just, one of those things where, like, two years from now, somebody hits this patch of episodes and, like, emails us yeah. to see if we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this week, Andrew, what book did you read? I read Trust Exercise, a novel mm. by Susan Choi. And I think it's, you know, there's a, That's a there's thing a t- now. Yeah. There's a template to yeah. a modern, like, medium length standalone novel where you've got, like, bright primary color on the Uh cover you've got like uh, an outline a strong outline of an object that's another like contrasting color Mm -hmm. and then you have big bold font for Mm -hmm. the uh for the title of the book and for the author Mm -hmm. and then you have a novel written in dainty cursive (laughs) somewhere (laughs) and that's exactly that's exactly what trust exercise is giving me on on the, yes, please drop in our mentions. I'm sure I've read an article recently about why we do the a novel thing. But if there are folks out there who know, please send us. I would like to reread those articles. I think it just like it gives you the the uh, imprimatur. Mm, of, that's a word of a subtitle. Let me make without sure. actually giving you a subtitle, without you having to like come up with a subtitle. Huh. Right? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, this book was recommended to us by one of our Patreon supporters. Thank you, Jenny, uh, who said, I 
actually read this one last year, but I still think about it every other week. It's a book that's really firmly wedged itself under my skin, and I'm I'm curious to hear what you'll (laughs) think of it. Uh, I don't want to color your reading experience by sharing too much about mine, but I will say this book still makes me consider what, if anything, an author owes their readership. I don't want to say it invites theorizing, because that makes it sound like a season of Lost. That might not necessarily be a bad thing, but who knows? Uh, I think. <laughs> well, it's a- <laughs> I did think you keep your Lost evangelism to yourself. <laughs> I will evangelize for season one of the, Lost, and that is it. I, I think the culture has judged Lost appropriately, and yeah. we do not need to go back and revisit the, um, It's about the journey. <laughs> I think it's incredibly open to individual individual interpretation. It's not like a J.J. Avers mystery box to solve, but a question that you can answer in different ways and still come at something true. Thank you for being such a lovely podcast light in this strange time. You're also a light in less strange times, but I've been glad to have your parasocial company. We've been glad to have yours as you yeah. are a listener. I don't even I don't I'm not sure I would recognize less strange times if yeah. I found myself in them. Like if, yeah. if I found myself back in precedented times. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Um, So Choi was born in 1969, nice in Indiana, uh, state in the United States. Um, (laughs) Grew up in Houston, Texas also. Uh, Got her BA from Yale, uh, MFA from Cornell, I think teaches creative writing at Yale, or at least has recently. Uh, After college, she was trying to work in for, I don't know, for a lip magazine or somewhere, and then wound up working at The New Yorker as a fact checker, uh, which is where she wrote The Foreign Student, her first novel in 1998, which won the Asian American Literary Award for Fiction. Um, I think, I don't know if it was like strictly based on her uh, like family, but I know um, it is about a korean man who comes over to america after the korean war um Mm -hmm. and meets a woman in the south and so i think that there's some resonance there with her family's story um her novel american woman in 2003 was a pulitzer finalist she won some awards for person of interest in 2010 uh my education in 2014 won a lambda award and then this book comes out 2019 wins the national book award the old mba andrew as we like to call it in the biz. Yeah, and there, there's nothing that you could confuse that with, so no. it's good to call it the NBA. Yeah, the 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 book people have been trying to take down that sports league like the animal people <laughs> took down Vince McMahon, <laughs> but that's eh, not successful yet. Um this is we what just, the, now we just got to get the uh the worldwide national book award <laughs> off the ground. Yeah, we'll come for them too. Yep. Um, the National Book Award judges said of this book, Trust Exercise by Susan Choi blends the intellectual rigor of postmodern technique with a story that is timely, mesmerizing, and in the end, unsettling. Choi's virtuoso accomplishment on the sentence level is often extraordinary and pivots in astonishing and non-traditional directions while conforming to traditional ideas of excellence. That sounds like people given an award, but (laughs) anyway, it sounds like it is uh, a book, from what I understand, reading some reviews and things like that, it's a book that is about very contemporary issues, even issues that have been issues for a long, long time, but certainly when the book came out, people were talking about some of the things that occur in the book um but also it has some structural stuff going on yeah um, which yeah, i think yeah, that's is right. supposed to have been not necessarily a full like um 
holy cha- whole change of speed for her. But I was reading this Vulture interview with her that was written by. Oh, I lost the name of the of the writer fine, there. No, sorry, I'm just I'm just hung up on that <laughs> award. <laughs> Speed where, where they say, "Oh, this is an unconventional book in every way but one." It's yeah. good. I think it's, it's good. good. And that tr- that, my friends, is conventional. I would invite the National Book Award judges to look in the mirror and ask themselves what traditional ideas of excellence are. Mhm. And if it's just that it's good, like if it's, it's good, just, I could describe this as I could describe this as good, and that is a traditional metric of excellence. <laughs> I love it. I I love. If I had to do their job, I don't know what I'd say. Some something weird too. Um, this is Hillary Kelly interviewing uh, Choi for Vulture, and talks a lot about how well received Choi's work has been among other authors. Um, one a novel. real author's author. A real author's author, Jennifer which, Egan. Which can tell you, which can tell you some things about the content of the book. If you, yeah. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Um, uh, one novelist told the Vulture writer that everyone she knows quote either adores it or loathes it. Um, talks a bit about the you know self referential self referential structure of the back part of the book. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, um, and that the setting in. I guess does this you can tell me if this carries throughout the book or not, but I understand that some of the book takes place at this like performing arts high school. Yeah, um, most of it. Like the, the first half of it almost entirely against that backdrop, and then the rest of it with characters who went there, but like later on in their lives and mostly in the same sort of suburban sprawly town. I think it's it's never named in the book. I think it's supposed to be around Houston because that's where she yeah, yeah. grew up or you know that's where she's from. Did you see that quote from her? I think it was to Bookish where she said about the setting um that it isn't a cultural capital, it isn't a New York or a Los Angeles and because they're aspiring performers, they're aware of being from a place that's not like the center of where things are. She wanted yeah. That, that describes a place where I grew up, she said, but also describes so many other places. Um, and then the Vulture article kind of dives into her writing this novel. Uh, she was working on a different book, and then this one kind of came out instead. And then she was working on it in 2016, and then Trump got elected, and all that stuff happened. And then her everybody had a time. Everybody around. had a time, yeah. and and specifically, it was like the Access Hollywood tape, um, and the ways that people were talking about violence and power and sexual violence. And um, then her marriage fell apart, and she was just she said that she was just mad all the time, and that's where this book came from. Um, which I don't identify with that at all. No one who would just be yeah. mad all What's the time. What's mad? Um, and that this book, some of the like performing arts school stuff aligns with her. She she attended one as a youth as well, and kind of draws on some of her personal experience there. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of herself in this book, as people have pointed out. But it also seems like it's a book about like I don't know how what there's another review that talks about like self myth making and stuff so who who even are these characters i can't even say maybe you can say andrew <laughs> um but yeah we've got reviews to talk about i want to make sure we talk about the book but anything else at the top that you want to make sure we know before we dive in 
No, I, I don't think so. I think talking about other people's responses to the work is going to help me like find my own footing and yeah. how I am responding to the work because there are definitely we we we'll get into this more after the break. Like there there are there are like stylistic things that it's doing. There are just like as as a novel that's written mostly as memoir that's like taking place in high school, especially in like high school full of theater kids. Like it gets, it gets very, very dramatic narratively in a couple of places. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, yeah, we, we'll talk about it, but okay. I think, I think I'm good. Cool. Well, let's take a quick break and then you'll tell me all about this book. Absolutely. Craig, we're talking a lot about trusts this week. We are. And, you know, the people who I would trust with my website, Squarespace. Oh, yeah. They're back again, everybody. (laughs) It's time for it's Squarespace time. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites and you can trust them to make your stuff look good with their beautiful templates, their powerful drag and drop tools and all the other analytics and many, many features that they offer to make your stuff look effortlessly nice. Yes, one might say that they have gone through the exercises of building a website so you don't have to. Yeah, you could say that. Let me tell you about some of the things about Squarespace that I like. (laughs) Aside from their 24-7 award-winning customer support. Aside from that. And how there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Aside from that. Uh, Craig, you know you can grow and engage your audience with Squarespace email campaigns. Create powerful email content Mm. that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and logo so your messaging is consistent and effective. Craig, you know, you can trust them to collect donations oh, that you good. can use to support a cause. You can gather contributions with PayPal, Apple Pay, Stripe, and Venmo. And if you're trying to find how many people trust you as a source on whatever your website is about, you get analytics, powerful insights into who's visiting your site and how they're interacting with your content. Uh, analytics tools include page views, traffic sources, time on site, most read content, audience geography, and so much more. So if you want to make a website that you can trust, you need to go to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Trust me. Andrew, this podcast is also sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Sounds better and helpful. It is. It's better and it's more helpful than stress, which comes for us all, Andrew. Mm-hmm. And we cannot, nor should we face the four horsemen of stress, headaches, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, and the rest alone. Right? <laughs> Did you write this or is this in the copy? I wrote that. <laughs> That's the, great. That was thanks. good stuff. The four horsemen thing? Yeah. That's why I it's put it in the It's good to know ad. that I can, I can trust you to write good ad copy. I'm yeah, you don't need to it. stress, Andrew. But okay. if you do... Mm-hmm. It's okay, and one of the ways that you can deal with that stress is talking to someone about what's weighing on you, and BetterHelp is here with a reminder to take care of yourself, do less, maybe try some therapy. I know a lot of folks for whom therapy is like a great tool to talk through what's weighing on you, get another perspective, come up with a plan of action to alleviate some of that stress, take down some of those four horsemen and whatever other horsemen are causing you stress. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. 
It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And overdue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash overdue. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash overdue. I'm late for class. It's high school again. I'm having a dream. I'm <laughs> really freaking out over here. Where are my clothes? Are my pencils sharpened? And oh no! This, this is improv exercise. Imagine Jerry Seinfeld at high school. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so what's that? No, for real? I'm making a podcast. I'm not in school. Sorry. I'm a good. Yeah, every, it's just pretend, everybody. We yeah. just pull back the curtain a little bit. We're just creating a sort of audio tapestry that you couldn't really dig into. They call it a soundscape in the a biz. Soundscape. Trust exercise is a book about some people. <laughs> Let's talk about some of them. The main two are Sarah and David. They are teenagers at a uh, performing arts high school. Yeah, sure. They're both 15 going on 16. And they are in class with this guy whose name is Mr. Kingsley. We're going to return to Mr. Kingsley frequently throughout okay. our discussion here so it's good to know that he he's just a real like a uh, uh, dramatist's dramatist is he wearing a turtleneck or a scarf he i believe he is depicted wearing a turtleneck at least once okay. uh, he is he you must spell it theater with an re at the end okay not an er never an er never an er the never theater um, yeah. This is set, this book is set in the eighties, is that right? Yeah, mostly. Okay, great. Just just clarifying which stereotype of this theater man is in my brain. <laughs> yeah, no, it's some some of it's set in the eighties, and then some of it's set in the nineties, and then some of it's set in like the early twenty tens. Okay, and, and each each chunk of the book is less of the book. Does that make sense? Each chunk gets smaller as you go. Okay, sure. There are three three chunks. <laughs> biggest biggest one is this one at the beginning with Sarah and David in high school at the performing arts school under the tutelage of Mr. Kingsley. Great. Okay. Mr. Kingsley is a fella who, let's say best case, he is too involved in some of his students' personal lives. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Uh, He's a real case, Mr. Feeny is what you're saying. I, I, I didn't. You, you know what? I didn't really watch that show. Whoa! To the point where, gun to my head, I would say you're talking about Boy Meets World. Yeah, you got okay. it. But right, good. But I, okay. All, but this, my it, <laughs> Saved by the Bell is a close second. Sure. So like late season, Mister Late Show, Mister Belding, where he's like actually like friends with them. Where I guess a little bit, except it's super wicked inappropriate. That okay, he's great. This, okay, cool. That he's like calling. Sarah's mother and being like, I think it's not good for her to have uh, like a part-time job on top of everything. Like he's just a that real, kind of stuff. Okay. real busybody. And then like worst case scenario, he's having, uh, let's say relations with students. Ah, let's say that. Okay. Just, yeah, just up front. We're going to be talking about some, uh, unconsensual sexual encounters. We yeah. are going to be talking about some like underage sexual encounters as part of talking about this book so so there's there's the warning about that i guess yeah and i I think anybody reading about this book like in that quote i read from the book award folks like anytime they say timely like 
this book comes out in the wake of, of Me Too, like the big burst of Me Too in 2017 and 2018. Okay. But like, what do you, so you did research, you read some, some I professional know what reviews, you read in some books though. Some, no, I, I know, know, I know, I know. But like, you read some professional reviews, you read some like reader reviews. And is there anything that like caught your brain that, we could use as like an entry point for the discussion. Cause I, I, I guess I'd like, I could talk about everything that happens, but a lot of it is just sort of characters bouncing off each other. And occasionally something happens, but mostly you're just like living in an emotional state. Uh-huh. Sure. The yeah. book as described in every review mm-hmm. is what kind of what you said in that like a big chunk of it is these two characters and their relationship. So I'd like to know about that. Okay. And then, and then it's, it is my understanding that the back half of the book flips, it flip turns upside down our understanding of that relationship or the events that took place within it. And so I kind of want to know how that you don't know what the twist is i want to yeah and like that's another thing like if folks want to go read this book or their book club is going to go read this book and talk about it like maybe hit pause when we get to the twist or whatever come back and listen to us i'm sure we'll say something cool um but i want to know a like just your version of what the twist is and like how that works for you or did okay so so yeah we so we're in Mr. Kingsley's class and he's doing all kinds of like dead poet society. Heck yeah. Unconventional teaching stuff. Like he gets up on a stage in the classroom and he turns the lights off and it's just like this weird, like sensory experience, but all the kids are basically crawling all over each other and making out. So <laughs> David and Sarah find each other in this like tangle of limbs and mm-hmm. begin a relationship that lasts throughout most of a summer. And when they get back to school for their sophomore year in high school, uh, David goes to give Sarah like a, a gift, like some some piece of jewelry that he bought for her. And she shuts him down publicly because for him, like being in a relationship is about the the publicness of it and about like showing the world how you feel about this person. And for her being in a relationship is about the privateness of it and just like how you feel when you're around each other. And, and do we really need to do all this PDA? Yeah. Is that, (laughs) is that a thing? I guess maybe I'm just not in a community where that is still a thing at our age, but like that is a big high school thing is the like, I am in a relationship and let me show my relationship to other people. Mm-hmm. Like, and it, it is up and down your, uh, breakfast club, like social hierarchy, people in it, people at every level do versions of this. I, I don't mean, know I if, think there, there's a whole genre of, of Facebook posts guy who is. Yeah, sure. Or Facebook post post person. Yeah, like yeah. it does. It's not gender restricted, but I love that, that's my a whole genre of, declar- yeah. of declarative love post. Yes, sure. Um, yeah, I just went. It's actually, yeah, I just. But I guess maybe yeah, it's probably different for teens now, where like social media is part of your life. Back in the in our day, Andrew, and back, back in our in, day before in the eighties, before we all had smartphones yeah. or <laughs> any kind of phones. <laughs> 
the main way to do it was to just smooch an English class in front of other people or, or just like, like hold hands or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that they means talk about you on the forum is OK. Here's <laughs> my high school. <laughs> I, I guess forum? I don't want to name drop my high school. So the, but it was my high school's name was blank Blankdale. OK. And there was a forum, like a, a board that started in the very early 2000s that somebody set up called Rumordale. Oh, no. And you would go to Rumordale to like talk trash about everybody. And I believe the administration had to interfere and get it shut oh. down because it was causing a lot of drama. Oh, that's good <laughs> stuff. But yeah, so that's, that's where the the information superhighway was when we were kids. <laughs> this is not people like TikToking their promposals. Yes. Yeah, am I right? You know? <laughs> Can I ask a question about the the guy? What's his name again? Absolutely, uh, Mr. Kingsley or David? No, David. Okay, um, is so you said that he's into the public and Sarah's into the like earnest emotional connection or whatever, or is, just like not just not flaunting not the their public. stuff sure. in front of anybody. Is he? Do you get the sense that either from Sarah's POV or from the book's perspective, he's disingenuous about the relationship or he is just like, no, the way I show you that I care is this public thing. Yeah, no, he's not. He's not disingenuous about it at all. He tries to make this grand gesture. She completely shuts him down. And then a couple of weeks later, like seeks him out when he's alone in like a prop room and they have sex. Okay. And he and that sort of ends their relationship because he's like, well, you can you can th- there's a undercurrent of like what are you ashamed of me? Like do what what's sure, sure. wrong that with me that you don't want to be seen like being with me even though it's high school and literally everybody knows everybody else's business 100% <laughs> of the time. Yeah. Okay. Sure. How is this? I, okay, this all sounds very complicated, but so that that's like that's the core dynamic, and then what you get through the my my frustration with the first half of this book is mm. the, and I feel like I've talked about this before with with other books. It's just like there there is a tonal sameness to it, where Sarah is having just like. There are some things about her life that are that are difficult and have forced her to grow up faster than she might otherwise have sure. needed to. Like her, she is living with her, uh, with her single mom. She is, you know, when you're living in suburbia and you're 16, like a, a car is the ultimate like status symbol, and she's not going to be able to get one unless she goes out and gets a job, which is like not a thing that everybody needs to do, like depending on what their parents' circumstances are. Like it's not a thing that David needs to do because he's, he's relatively well off, but you know, so her life is sort of defined by this like tough relationship with her mom and her like strained financial circumstances. And she's, you know, she's doing this job on top of going to high school on top of, you know, late nights spent doing like theater stuff. I mean, you were, you did theater in high school like you remember being in the like the gym until like 9 p.m yeah rehearsal this is giving me major flashbacks to the fall of my senior year in high school i did not have a car in high school i relied on my mom and friends to get me around um or walking and it wasn't great um and there was a day where i got in trouble at my part-time job 
because I had is to go to... Is this the Cold Stone or is this another job? No, this was at the music store that I worked at. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And uh, I got... I quit the music store job to work at Coldstone before they could fire me. Um, <laughs> they, but they were mad at me because I had to miss a shift that I don't remember if I told them about uh, because I had rehearsal and that was also the same fall that I was the drum major for marching band. So I was really living like three lives at once and I couldn't drive myself to any of them. <laughs> and it was It was tough and it was... Then I was also still trying to be a teenager, and that yeah. wasn't easy. Um, I mean, and- I had the I had the suburban sort of uh, feedback loop of I need a job so I can pay my car insurance, and I have my car primarily so I can drive myself to my job. Yeah, yes, <laughs> and then, like also to school. But it's you know, what there, is the teenage are- version of the two income track? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> So okay, I walked out of that McDonald's. I I quit with very little notice, and I was such a model employee. I was a register guy, of course, because they've got my this friendly oh, yeah. voice that old ladies just love. Friendly voice, friendly face. Yeah. Uh, and a couple months after that, I walked back in because I need it because <laughs> no job means no money, and I had gotten accustomed to having money, and now I didn't have any more. And I walked right back in and they just kind of let me right back on to staff. They're like, well, the hat's a different color now. Here you go. Oh, man. Welcome back. Well, you were so good. They missed you. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So it sounds like (laughs) on paper, you would maybe find like you and you maybe do find Sarah pretty relatable, but maybe the the prose style didn't work for you or something. Yeah. Like I, I find a lot about her circumstances and about her like about the the high school setting relatable what i had trouble with was you're just like constantly in this sort of foggy state of sad okay with her where 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 it's she is a character who it feels like has very little agency over like events in her life and like and that and i understand that that is probably intentional like there yeah. are bits of this book that talks about what it's like to be a a teenager uh like that and where you don't have any yeah you don't have control like you are beholden to other people's schedules but people are telling you to make something of yourself it it was part of the excruciating in-betweenness of no longer being children yet lacking those powers enjoyed by adults yeah is a line that sort of sums it up Uh uh-huh sure so, but but she just sort of bounces from one misfortune to the next for quite a while in a way that didn't have enough of a shape to like keep me consistently to keep you involved. engaged. Like, like it yeah. took me a while to read the first half of the book because I just kept it. It is like eating a big bowl of like plain oatmeal and eventually it's just like i cannot eat another bite of oatmeal right now. okay sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, you're not, like, the, not to say good. the prose is plain it's oatmeal fine. it's like the same yeah. when if you do the same thing for long enough it just gets it gets harder to keep doing it so okay like, i found the found the sameness a little monotonous sure okay uh but then maybe that's a tautology i don't know well but, uh, <laughs> um does the whatever big event that is then going to get unpacked in the twist happen in the Sarah section. 
to, well, so to like the escalate the book. The, the twist isn't so much something that happens in, as much as it is like a revelation about what the story is in the first. Oh, place. okay. So you get like in in the first half of the book when you're dealing with Sarah, you you know you meet some other people. You have this these instances where Mister Kingsley like inserts himself super inappropriately into her personal life, where it seems an awful lot like he is having a an inappropriate relationship with a a young man in the mm. class who also is like socioeconomically not like as well off yeah, as some yeah, of the yeah, other yeah. students. Like Mr. Kingsley seems to have a thing for picking out people who have been like forced to grow up too fast and like taking them under his wing. And you could, you know, a charitable read of that is like, this is a, this is a dedicated educator who, yeah. who wants to fill gaps in his students life lives where he sees them and like genuinely wants to help. But I don't think that's what the book is doing. I think the book wants us to be super squicked out by this guy the entire time. And that that's the, and, and I'd say that partly because of stuff that happens later on in the book that makes it like pretty unambiguous that he's a yeah. major creepo. But yeah, like never once did I really want to give Mr. Kingsley the benefit of we, doubt for the stuff, that, the way that he interacts with the students. Did, did you ever see the movie Doubt, Andrew? Uh, I, I doubt it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Walked right into that one. Christ. Yep. Yep. Um, like a big like this, fan that you just sort of <laughs> you just stuck your face into. This, this, <laughs> it's, it was this like big deal play uh, and then they made it into a, a movie that had good actors in it but the I didn't like how it was directed. Um, wow. And it is it is a similar like uh, set of the Catholic school. Uh, it's about a nun who suspects the new uh, like priest of you know, untoward behavior to a student. Mm-hmm. And, and he's like, you know, selected a student who needs ex- additional support. And the whole way that the way that the play works is that you never find out the truth. It is all about your suspicion and the main character's suspicion. And yet, like the play is set up so that you are kind of squicked out by him for reasons. And like, you can do that play without saying he did the thing that is named but he probably is still like not a great guy i mean i think absent a denouement where he has like video footage exonerating him of all wrongdoing i think we are clearly like obviously meant to assume i think in most stories that sort of try and like create doubt sure maybe that's why it's called doubt Oh my God, Andrew, that's definitely why it's called that. Hmm. The last line of the play is the woman says, I have such doubts. Yes. And then the play's over. Do they say doubt anywhere else in the play or is that the moment where Um, they say the name of the play? play? They might say doubt, but now I'm smiling at the idea of you attending a performance of doubt. And when she says, I have such doubts and starts crying, you pump your fist and yell yes, because they're said doubt. Or I just like tap whoever I'm with on the shoulder and I you whisper. You would do that. Very loud stage whisper. That's the name of the play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we got the squeaky teacher guy. We got this. this we got this relationship that busted. Um, and then the twist is going to happen. 
so yeah we we stumble through this like we so who do we meet we meet like there are some visiting uh students from like an english school including a couple of older guys who ones who's like in his 20s and ones in his 40s oh uh, we, okay. yeah who again like the older ones start having sexually inappropriate relations with some of the students it's a that's a common theme yeah um but and we meet a couple friends of Sarah's though she seems mostly incapable of sustaining friendship in her current like emotional state sure. and she's just kind of like people reach out to her and she sort of swats them away or just kind of like floats away from them and and like her her circumstances just like steadily get worse and worse until you get around halfway through the book and then you are yanked out of the book by somebody who is like hey my, we're going to call me Karen because the character of Karen is who like the character of Karen in this book that we've all been reading is who Heck I yeah. am. Like that Heck character yes. is clearly some kind of composite character based on me. Okay. So it's, so the, we're, we've gotten to the point where this is a novel within a novel. There's another half of it that we don't read because Karen doesn't read it. And before anybody says anything like this, I believe this predates the widespread use of Karen as a specific Yep. Name to mean a specific kind of thing. So like, I don't think that is anything that, that Choi is going for. The fact that it was not mentioned at all in the vulture.com interview I read leads me to believe that yes, it predates. She's not meant to be a Karen. She just is a person. Like it used to be that you could just have a name that was Karen. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, that is how that works. Yeah. Um, Um, Okay. So we were, this character is talking to us about the book we've been reading. Yeah. And so she, she is, she, for a little while she's Karen in quotes and then she's like, yeah, I'm going to drop the quotes. We're just, I'm just going to keep, Using the names that you are familiar with. Okay. So there is continuity. So we've still got. So Karen was a friend of Susan's who went to the same high school, who hung out with some of these same like older English guys. Okay. And she just sort of starts swinging a sledgehammer like an episode of this old house (laughs) (laughs) and knocking out the drywall of the narrative that you've been reading so far i know that you don't watch a lot of hgtv because you would have pulled like property brothers or something no i got i'm like classic like yeah bob vila remember that guy that guy who remember him he and bob ross are like twine the bob the two bobs i call them well and then you've got norm the guy who is like there the the Number the two Al in this old house for yeah, like of course. 20 years. Yeah, for sure. And I always think about, I, I was looking up some stuff about stud finders recently. Uh-huh. And there was a, this old house video that had him talking about stud finders. And he was like, yeah, I got your stud finder right here. And he just like wraps his knuckles on the drywall until he finds the oh stud. Did he point at himself? <laughs> No, he just, no, he just like lifted up his knuckles and he just knocked it against the wall. He's like, I don't need a stud finder. I'm cool. Norm. <laughs> no. These walls talk to me. This episode is pretty loose. It's the pretty boy loose the walls one. talk to. Tell mm-hmm. me about um, Karen's sledgehammer story. Well, she's just, she is, she first is like 
you know, the, the there are several friend characters in here who are like all elements of me that have been split up and assigned to multiple people. Whoa. Okay. Um, there, you know, it's Sarah was kind of horrible. Okay. Like she, she was really awful to her mom who was disabled, who is, which is not mentioned in the book at all. Huh. Um, okay. She like ran away to go to Eng- England with one of these English guys. Okay. It's just like she she is a even like the the narrative that you get in the book is like Sarah ha- is having a bad time, but Sarah is also like the the person you're supposed to be sympathizing yeah, with of the course. entire time. Like she she's the she's the protagonist, she's the you know she's the focal point, but Karen is like, yeah, that's not how any of this actually went down. Great. Okay. And so Karen is taking it upon herself as part of this elaborate ruse that slowly unfolds itself over the course of the second half of the book. Mm-hmm. She has gone to a book signing of Sarah's mm. and is going to like reintroduce herself to Sarah. Like they, they had had a falling out like in high school, haven't talked to each other in like 15 years. And they have, you know, they just have like a sort of dinner and, and Karen lets Sarah acts like they're, they never got out of, fell out of touch and that they, you know, that they're still friends and that they still just hang out and catch up and talk to each other. Um, so it turns out that, so Karen lives in the town where the, you know, the, the book that we've been reading up to this point takes place like she she's still in that community david is still in that community he is he is aged poorly but he's sort of a, a man he's still a man of the theater he's like directing weird plays in the yes. in the community and he's yes. doing it with some success and okay. he's doing it with some success partly because karen is like swooping in and helping him with like taxes and accounting and stuff that he's we just, need like, help he's just too much do. of an artiste to have to worry about <laughs> I love it. I'm sure okay. you've never met or worked with anybody who's like this. I've never been anyone like this ever. <laughs> um and we find out through the through this half of the book. So so toward the end of Sarah's half, there are these couple of English guys. I think their names are like Martin and Liam. It's not like super, super important what their names are. Okay. But um Liam sort of forces himself on Sarah mm. and Martin and Karen are like quote, hanging out, but you don't really like see much of it. Okay. And so in the Karen part of the book, it's, it's revealed that they were all, they were kind of a foursome for a while. Like uh, Karen and, and Martin, who is much older, who's in like his late thirties or early forties. Like they start hanging out because he starts hanging out with her and, and doing some like obviously predatory stuff. Um, and he is friends with Liam and she is friends with Sarah. So they all, so Sarah and Liam sort of by default get together. And the plan is for all, for, for Sarah and, uh, for Karen to go back to England and just like hang out with them. But then it turns out that Martin is like stood her up and he's on tour with some company as you, and he's just like not there. And then it's revealed that, Oh, she's Karen is pregnant. And it's been established at this point in the story that her family is, is very Christian. And so she doesn't give the, she, she doesn't 
have an abortion or anything. She she carries the the baby to term and gives it up for adoption. And David, this is so a story is coming out about Martin, where he grooms people and grooms his students and then has sex with them. Basically, hmm. like there are some yeah. allegations, very hard to prove. Because there's no paper trail, there's no nothing. Yep. There's a lot of yep. doubt, just like in the play Doubt. Yep. Uh-huh. And the movie Doubt. Yep. Movie's worse than the play. You see the kid in the movie and it makes the play it makes the story worse. To make because there's less doubt? Uh correct. Okay. Yeah. So really the play works better when there's more doubt. Ironically, yes. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Uh-huh. Uh <laughs> and David is having the classic like even though this is taking place in the nineties and it's also taking place before the cancel culture debate was in its current infuriating place. Oh God. Where one side of the debate, the debate is like cancel culture is the biggest problem facing any of us in society today. And then the other side is literally nobody has faced any lasting consequences for anything that they've ever done. Yeah. Uh Um, any, anyway, David is in high dudgeon about how Martin's being canceled. Actually. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. Did I use that word right? I don't know. I've never, you used high dudgeon and I was both like impressed and like, I don't know if I know what that means. You're a professional writer. I trust yeah, you. Yeah, no, high, high dudgeon is right. I'm, I'm a professional writer, but I can like, I can check stuff. And go back and delete stuff that I say wrong when I. <laughs> so, so it's weird for me to be using. This all is these giving me words, so but. like I know. Um, there's a couple things that this is pinging for me. One is like some of our conversation from the the crossover we did with heaving bosoms about the love hypothesis with the like soft power in academia, mm-hmm. the like the ways that you know student teacher relationships like work on a certain power dynamic and how easily those become exploited. Like this is a thing that is in other books by Choi. Um, So if folks have read other Susan Choi books like that, this kind of stuff crops up. It's something she's interested in. Um, And it just is like, as, as someone who has seen this happen and, and knows of people in uh, the arts community where this type of things happen, not even just in like the, you know, big entertainment industry, but like, the way that power works in the arts and particularly in like, you know, the performing arts where you have to make yourself vulnerable and there are innately people who are mentoring other people. And just the way that all of that, the way that all of it probably could work really well is so close to how it could work very poorly. And it's like this razor thin line that a lot of people have taken advantage of. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And and yeah, and then you're right. It's this thing where like because the work, because of what gets done, no nobody ever faces consequences or enough yeah. consequences. Yeah. yeah. So David is David is super upset that Martin has been accused of anything. Like nobody can prove anything. Nobody's got any conclusive evidence. I've got no reason to believe that any of this is happening. And so he is like deliberately chosen a play of Martin's that he's going to produce next. And he's going to invite Martin to come to the States to play the role that he obviously wrote based on himself. No. And I'm mortified on 
everyone's behalf. Yeah, and so and and this all. So d- d- Sarah is there because she and Karen have reconnected. Like Karen has gotten herself cast as a as a person who's basically the Karen to the Martin characters. Martin. Okay. Where he's she's sort of being sexually exploited by this older guy yeah. who's in a position of some power over her. And because it's a play and because this whole book is just like constant melodrama. Yeah. The play has a gun in it. Heck yeah. And it ends with the Martin character getting shot. Yes. And so it does. she is like, yeah, I know about about like gun like prop gun safety no i'm gonna handle all everything about this and i'm gonna give a lot of very good and relevant and by the book advice about how to be safe using a stage gun and then i am going to use the you know the the blank stage gun bullet to like shoot martin in the genitals (laughs) and that's how my and that's how my because you know he he impregnated her and then vanished and she's still dealing with that wow. and she's still dealing with a lot of her feelings about David and Sarah and it's just all this like yeah it's rough just this thing where everybody's still in high school and it's well, it's it is there the are parts of it that bear, are powerful huh? and there are parts of it that are just sort of fatiguing because sure. because it is even though you're in a different character's head you don't really leave the the vibe the, the same emotions and the same mm. vibe and the same like driving forces behind so that's the way that uh Karen's part of the story ends and she is basically screaming at Sarah like how why did you change the stuff that you changed like yeah. who are you trying to protect sure and then we get this little tiny part 3 as kind of a denouement where what the, a person who turns out to be the baby who um mm. who Karen, Karen yeah. gave up is meeting like the real life Mr. Kingsley who's like his he's got a different name um, but it's clear from oh. like the physical description of him and the position he occupies at a at a art school that it's like him in real life. Hmm. And un you know unlike Karen, this this third protagonist whose name is Claire is not you know is is not using the same nomenclature as the book. Like would have no access to to, to, that. to any like, of she that. She hasn't okay. hasn't read Sarah's book. I don't think we're supposed to think that what Karen is telling us is like written down in a book that people in the universe are reading. I think it's getting, and then the Karen book, the the Karen part of the book is, is interesting because it is constantly like you will get flashes of first person sometimes. And then the rest of the time it's all like, Oh, Karen did this. Karen did that. She's sort of describing a character who is, is her, but is a little bit outside of her. Like, you know, props to props to Susan Joy, I guess for (laughs) some neat stuff. She's a. I think that plays into like what writers like about her work, and and people who are very interested in the like the meta aspect might be responding to. Okay, yeah. great. Tell me a little and bit. And so then, like Claire, Claire, yeah. Claire is looking for her like birth mother. Doesn't doesn't find her. Does encounter this Mister Kingsley analog. Is sexually entrapped by him mm. once again, mm. and then he dies of natural causes and like a building gets named after him. Ah, 
and she's still sort of looking for her mother. Okay. But it's so what the truth of the book is, I think is that I think, I think we're meant to think that all these characters, like you, so you got like the English guys, you got Mr. Kingsley, you got Mr. Kingsley, like being uh, rewritten as gay in the, in the Sarah part of the book when he's like straight in the Claire part of the book. Yeah. I think what you're meant to think happened is that Mr. Kingsley had sex with Karen and is the father of Claire. I think, okay. I think the father of, of Claire and you're meant to, I mean, I, I could be wrong about that. It could be the British guy and just like Karen's upset about Sarah trying to cover from Mr. Kingsley too, but, but it's very strongly implied that some of what Sarah wrote about her, Sarah's relationship with Mr. Kingsley is like lifted from stuff that happened to Karen but oh, because, and okay. because they were such close friends. Like Sarah would have had close access to it. And, and so that's, that's where like the uncertainty of the book comes in is like, okay, we know Sarah's an unreliable narrator, but we're getting that information from a narrator who might also be unreliable. Yeah, yeah sure. And is there any, and, and, the- and Karen is using the scaffolding that Sarah has mm. built to continue describing many of these characters. And so, so you are still not sure if you're, even though the names are the same, mm-hmm. even though you're a layer removed from like the fiction of, of mm-hmm. Sarah's book, you're not sure whether you're getting the full truth or like the unvarnished truth out of her. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So like, it's interesting. It is interesting. I can also see why it would be difficult for if people really need to like, latch on to character in a book to like propel them forward this it seems like this book might resist that a little bit just because i mean i'll say many characters are sympathetic few are likable Mm, in the the, yeah in a sense that the national book award people might find to be like traditional Jeez, and a lot of mileage out of that quote. I'm glad I you, pulled it. You are are classically likable. I would say. <laughs> um, a lot of the three star Goodreads reviews that I read. Three star Goodreads review. Oh, I'm glad you took it to the theater. Um, Dr- drama. <laughs> <laughs> the theater. Uh, kind of praised the prose and praised some of them like the structure of the book Mm -hmm. um plenty of people were like i'm a theater kid i got all the theater kid stuff like um what did tan it is aimed pretty squarely at that audience of people who's gonna who like you and me will have very strong sense memories about high school theater stuff like Um, it's heightened but it's it's all it all rings pretty true (laughs) (laughs) um what did uh this is okay. I'm going to read two that that kind of contrast a little bit, but I think they agree. Tammy Studying says, contrasts. "Beyond the trust exercises that the characters engage in during the theater classes, um, which, as I was reading, were a lot of like Stella Adler, Sanford Meisner stuff. Uh, I don't know okay, if that's explained can, can in the you book. Describe but, what that means, because um, I know who the I know who. Yeah, S- Sarah Abger and and yeah, Stella Adler and Sanford Meisner. Yeah, and Sa- and Sandra Bullock are, but I 
but can you explain to people who don't know? Um, I'm are. specifically thinking about the references I saw in some of these uh, Goodreads reviews to a repetition exercise. Yes, and you use different inflection. You say yep. the same thing to each other over and over again, but you change the inflection each time you repeat it to change the meaning of the sentence. Yes, and it's a, it's supposed to make you present with your partner, get you away from lingering on the meaning of the words and more about focusing on the person across from you and and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, the Sanford Meisner and Sal Adler came after Lee Strasberg in the 1930s, and Strasberg was heavily influenced by Stanislavski from Russia. Yeah, I mean, I um, know that too. And they were kind of building this technique to to get actors kind of out of their heads. Right. Um, then some of them went and met Stanislavski because they were like, Strasberg's kind of dusty, and he got it all from you. And Stanislavski's like, I know that stuff's dusty. I'm moving on. So, you know, it's, it's fun. People are weird. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, Tammy says... Uh, Told in three parts, each part turns the preceding part on its ear. This comes off as a contrivance rather than as a subtle manipulation. Um, oh, she said, this, this novel is an exercise in trusting the author. Uh, while this is skillfully written and structurally enterprising, on the whole, it was too much obvious for my taste. Um, Jessica said... Uh, this inventive and ambitious novel displays a clever mastery of both language and storytelling. Nevertheless, I'm not sure I fully enjoyed it. Um, the, to temper reader expectations, I think it's important to note that while there are twists, they are subtler and more experimental than what most readers, myself included, are accustomed to. Um, so I don't know. Did you feel like the both of these folks like kind of don't talk about the characters that much in their reviews? They're just like, yeah, this was interesting, and I can tell that the issues are important, and I found the writing compelling. But they had different takes on how successful the twist, quote unquote was i mean i I think what you sort of are looking for in a i I don't i don't have a i the the biggest like mid book twist example i always go back to is gone girl just because we read it like really i have another show's life and it and it flips the like so to take that twist as sort of a archetypal book twist yeah you read the book like the first half of it is shrouded in mystery then you hit the twist and once you understand the twist oh now i understand everything has fallen into place ah yes. and this book's twist is like what if i kept twisting yeah and it was like when you're trying to untwist a bag tie and it's so twisted up that you're not sure which direction to twist it to get it untwisted (laughs) it's like it's a twist that that doesn't necessarily clarify anything and i can see that being unsatisfying sure the the, i was very grateful to find the dueling new york times reviews for this book one by elizabeth egan and one by dwight garner dwight garner loved it um said of the second section that it becomes a metafictional commentary on all that has gone before and goes on to kind of praise a lot of the examination of power and and you know all that kind of stuff um Whereas Elizabeth Egan was like, it's not Gone Girl cleverness or the amusing frustration of an unreliable narrator. It's total confusion. Um, trust ex- exercise is reminiscent of the most famous trust exercise of all, the one where you fall backwards into your partner's outstretched arms. You believe your partner will catch you. In this case, she doesn't. Dang. <laughs> that is, I think that is the least generous writing I, I read about this book. But this, sure. it seems like it's pretty... I don't know. I don't even know if it's polarizing. People have strong opinions about it, though, because they're like, 
I wanted to understand it, and I don't know if there's something to understand. I think, you know, it, whether you enjoy it or whether you're frustrated with it, I think what what's consistent is a recognition that it is like mechanically interesting, yeah, and, sure, well crafted as just like as a as a novel as a okay. like a, a work product to, yeah. to be like <laughs> totally detached from it. um it but says it, on the it, cover andrew yeah. a novel you told me about I, this I, know, I, re- I read that yeah. yeah but um but yeah it, it is missing a i don't want to say it's missing a human element i don't know if i want to mm. say it's missing like a warmth but it, it's missing it is missing somebody to to root for because even the characters who are the most like damaged and disadvantaged are also like doing a bunch of bad stuff all yeah. the time. So it, yeah, it's just it's it's difficult to pick somebody's corner and I think the impulse when you're reading a book and something that authors play with constantly when they are like crafting a protagonist is like you the reader are conditioned through you know, however long you've been alive through like that many decades of consuming stories to want to sympathize with the protagonist, to want to be in their corner, to want to like actively cheer for them. And the fact that there is not really a character in this who you can latch onto and like do that with is sort of, is is sort of unmooring. And it feels like the book is sort sort of holding you at a, at a distance the entire time you're reading it because it's like, look at me, I'm being so clever and well, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm going to show you multiple possible versions of the truth. And that's interesting, but I'm not going to tell you what the truth is. So that's dissatisfying. Yeah. And, well, yeah. Like I, I get the, <laughs> yeah, I get the arguments either way. Yeah. 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 Cause it, yeah. To say it's missing is it's missing for the reader. It sounds like Choi knew exactly what she was doing. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not not to say that, she, yeah, that, that she didn't fully intentionally make the book this way on purpose. But, yeah. Well, but, and because of the, the yeah. because of what it's dealing with too, right? It seems like that is her take or or a question she wants to ask maybe about um, how we tell the stories about these types of events um, and like how we believe people or don't believe people and like mm-hmm. and if, if you run that into what you just said like how people approach books like this is the the quickest way to give the reader some of the same unmoored feelings that maybe some of the folks who've experienced that would feel. I, I, and yeah. also like hearing you like i i i, th- I also think there's a desire to see people who are horrible predators like get some kind of comeuppance that's not what this book is about no yeah that's not what the book is about like it's specifically about lack of comeuppance yeah Yeah. come Um, down no okay (laughs) is there not a part of the book where they discuss yes and andrew no, it's Did not an improv learn- book. I I have a strong suspicion that everybody at this drama high school is going to look way down on on the improv arts. Like that, yeah, that you're is right. Fundamentally, yeah. not serious drama. <laughs> the, the improv arts, heck yeah. Anyway, thanks for telling me about this book, bud. You're welcome. I think it was a little rough and tumble, but we made it. We made it through. And we- that's what that's what April is about. <laughs>
That's this true. Year. And listen, we were a little unmoored by this book, but we anchored ourselves with the National Book Award judges and traditional excellence. And I think that this podcast has been traditionally excellent. Sure. Party on, Wayne. <laughs> if you want to send us your theories about what happened in Trust Exercise, you can send us uh, an email. Trust Exercise or Exercises? Trust Exercise. Trust, um, trust Exercise. Okay. Um, you can send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, thanks to Monica at overduepod. Thanks to Monica, Katerina, Emily, Lucas, Sean, Julian, uh, Eric, KC, Samantha, Amy, and more for reaching out to us in the past week. Uh, our theme song was composed by Nick Larandris. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and are going to read. You click those and you, you will be taken to a bookshop.org page. You buy the book there and we get a cut. Your local independent bookseller gets a cut and you get a book and yep. everybody's happy. Yep. Uh, Patreon.com slash Overduepod. We have the link to our Patreon project up on our website as well. Uh, join our Discord server. Uh, get in on our new Long Reads project that is building a horrifying bridge to Spooktober oh, with so R.L. Stein's Goosebumps series. Yep. Uh, and Craig, what are we both reading next week? We are reading The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest. All right, everybody. Thank you for trusting us for another week to tell you about a book. And until we hit you next time, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.